Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Thomas Schmidt. Thomas is the head of technology transfer at the University of Southern Denmark, also known as SDU, a position he has held for over eight years. Prior to his time at SDU, Thomas was a business development and project manager at Aarhus University. Prior to his time at Aarhus University, Thomas was a project coordinator at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Thomas has an MA in marketing and communication from Alberg University and an MBA from Aarhus. And with that impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Thomas. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's wonderful to be here, Lisa. Well, it's really great to have you here. And thank you so much again, Thomas, for taking part in the podcast. I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Thomas, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at SDU? Sure. So I have a, uh, a master's degree in, in uh, market communications, and I actually didn't uh, know or think about uh, joining tech transfer when I first started out. Uh, I got a temporary job at Aarhus University that wanted some help with their website, with their market communications. And when I was there, they asked me to look at a couple of cases and then it just kind of rolled from there from a, um, a part-time or a time-limited contract to a permanent contract. I actually ended up staying at Aarhus University for seven years, helping build the uh, business development group at that university. And then um, uh, the opportunity came in 2013 to to join SDU. And one of the things, uh, things I found really interesting there was it was also a position that included the student entrepreneurship lab. So I helped start that off. And then I've also um, been responsible for sponsor research uh, contracts at, at one point, including GDPR. Uh, but I've always had kind of business development and commercialization as the core of my, my activities throughout my career. Now, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with SDU and its tech transfer office, could you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. So I think we're, in terms of our numbers, we're a small office, uh, but we do have um, a, a great group of business developers. We actually have eight business developers and a, and a patent administrator. So we're very well off in terms of of, uh, of projects per business developer. And what we do there is that doesn't mean that they um, don't know what to do with their time. It just means that we try to engage as much as we can with our researchers. And we help them with NDAs, with MTAs. We help them with the impact sections in their funding applications. We try and help them out if they need to find a company to do a joint uh, sponsor research program with or a joint research collaboration. So we try and engage as much as possible with, with our research faculty and also with the uh, university hospital that's associated with the university that we're also responsible for. We are located outside of of Copenhagen and Aarhus, which are kind of the, the, the bigger cities in, in Denmark. So our region is very much uh, SMEs and it's it's very much uh, production companies. It's not a lot of high-tech companies and it's not a lot of international corporations. Uh, around the city of Odense, it used to have a large shipyard that um, 
uh, ended working uh, a number of years ago. We're seeing now um, the rise of a whole robotics industry, uh, automation, large um, infrastructure, large projects being built there. So, so new technologies also mean that that these kind of old uh, production companies are now seeing um, a new relevance in terms of the infrastructure that we have in in Odense. Now, you have a number of different unique programs and funding mechanisms there too, don't you? Sure. So um, we're happy to have our own uh, proof of principle, proof of, pro- proof of concept um, program, which I think is, is very important to have as an office. But in addition to that, we're also um, members of the steering committee for the Nordic Innovation Fair, which is a, a Nordic uh, trade fair, trade show, where we showcase uh, technologies from the old Danish universities and, and increasingly also from Norwegian and Swedish and Finnish uh, universities and research institutions. So we're part of that. And it's it's wonderful to have that as a platform internationally to engage with our licensees and our potential uh, investors. And in addition to that, we also this year um, became part of the or founded the, the, the Spinoz Denmark program, which is all of the eight Danish universities that came together for a five-year program to increase the number of sustainable spin-outs coming out of, of the universities within uh, Industry 4.0 and, and uh, engineering uh, sciences, natural sciences. And it's really unique in that all eight universities are able to work together, small and large. Um, and we're very, very fortunate that the Willem Foundation, uh, which is a philanthropic private uh, foundation, has donated 10 million euros over five years to, to support that. So we're in that program. We're doing translational postdocs. We're doing increased um, business development, scouting capacity. We're trying to build more of an entrepreneurial community in terms of entrepreneurs and residents, mentor core. Um, we want to do some demo days and, and different activities to try and, and knit the, uh, the ecosystem a little bit closer together in Denmark. Now, I think that's a great segue to my next question. You mentioned a little bit about how eight universities just kind of came together and worked together. So I'm curious, could you share some of the differences between how tech transfer uh, is handled in Denmark compared to other countries like the U.S. and the U.K.? So I think through the time I've been involved in tech transfer, I definitely think that there is a difference between the U.S. and the U.K. and continental Europe and then a, a number of emerging uh, countries and economies. And it very much has to do with when did your legislation change? When did some of the national programs uh, kick in? And so the U.S. and the U.K. to some extent is much more of a mature technology transfer corporations. It's much more um, embedded within the professors' uh, knowledge and, and their activities. Um, Denmark is had its its Beidou-like uh, legislation enacted in the year 2000. So we have been going at it for about 20 years, um, and that means that we're at the same level as as I would say in Ireland and and Holland and, and some of the other countries, and perhaps uh, Italy, France, Spain, and, and Germany are a little bit less developed in in terms of how long they've been going at it. In Denmark, what that means is that we've had a national program and a national profession and a national organization for about 20 years now, 17 years at least. And so that's really something that means that we're much more co-workers now than we are competitors, which is great in terms of building resources. And one of the reasons why we had a culture that we could get this large program up and running. Uh, I think compared to when I travel, for instance, in Eastern Europe or uh, in Asia, 
it's much more uh, single person led and it's much more uh, in some universities are hotbeds for innovation and they have a lot of support from senior management. Other universities have a, other interests or other programs, other priorities. And so it's much more diverse in the different countries. In Denmark, it's very much a, a national um, culture and a, and a national uh, um, activity. So it's not something where it's half the country is doing it and half isn't. Everyone is doing it. And obviously, we're doing it at different levels and different uh, portfolio sizes, different office experiences and so forth. Um, and I think the offices now more than ever are very much um, – they very much look like the universities that they are serving, and which is something that I've noticed is also something that 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 has happened in the U.S., for instance, where there was at some point there was everyone was doing a foundation, then everyone was pulling the their foundations foundations back in and doing uh, spoken hub models and so forth, and so those kind of organizational evolutions are also happening in Denmark. That's very much the same, I think. Um, but but in terms of some of the emerging countries, also Asia and South America, they're there it seems to be single institutions where in Denmark now it's 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 definitely the the whole ecosystem that's working together. Now you mentioned you're located in the southern part of Denmark outside of Copenhagen. So I'm I'm wondering, has it been hard to secure venture funding and capital for the startups that have been coming out of the university? I think it's it's as difficult as as it is in other parts of the country. I just think we have to be very aware of how we go about it. Uh, we have to be for life sciences. We know we have to be active in Copenhagen, in Hamburg, which is about the same travel distance. Uh, and we're fortunate that the robotics environment in Denmark is pretty much centered around Odinson. We have a couple of big, uh, a couple of spin-outs from, from SDU that were acquired by Teradyne for uh, 200, 220 million euros. So, so, so those kind of big acquisitions has meant that we have had an influx of investors in the robotics space to Odinson. But every industry outside of robotics, we have to go somewhere else, and then we do uh, we do we do trade shows. We go to buy Europe. We go to England. We go to uh, we sometimes I say we start off in Copenhagen and then go out into the world uh, to, to secure that that seed funding and, and day round funding. How was it for you uh, trying to secure that funding during COVID? Obviously, that was must have been challenging. I think once we kind of got our operations. Uh, up and running. Uh, I think it was it was almost as as easy or difficult, however you want to put it. But I didn't. I, didn't, I don't think it became a a significant issue. And I think the reason why is is that this was a global event, so it wasn't unique to our office or our country. And then the venture people, um, corporations all over the world were also struggling. And as soon as they got their operations uh, working from home or whatever it, they needed to do. I think we were able to achieve um, very much the same outcomes. We have seen a, um, we've seen our numbers uh, stay the same in 2020, and we've seen a drop in 2021. And I think the reason is that we saw some labs um, were closed completely because they were all turned towards helping the hospital system. But a lot of the engineering departments, for instance, came up with a lot of inventions, a lot of innovation, and, and then so that really spiked. And we had a, a robotics spin-out in the in the testing space, and we had a couple of of uh, diagnostics uh, licenses that we that were really big to us. I think what we're seeing now is first of all fatigue, and and and, and returning to uh, returning to the uh, to university for all the researchers having to start up a hybrid teaching now and having to re. Uh, 
figure out how to get their funding rolling back again. So I think the drop that we're seeing now, and also I, as I hear from my colleagues elsewhere, is, is is the drop is coming in 2021 in terms of our numbers rather than 2020. And I think that, that also tells me that we did quite well during the pandemic. If we're able to keep normal production in an unnormal year, I think that's pretty well, pretty good handling. Yeah, it sounds like you did really well. So I wanted to turn back to asking you about your office. You mentioned you're small. You have eight business uh, developers and one patent administrator. Do you have any others or or you want to talk a little bit more about how your office is structured? No, so so we only have kind of that that those two kind of categories and then really it's it's all about the business developers. And they have to do cradle to grave. They have to do all the, the things that are necessary. And I think that's because we are have a university and a university hospital, that means that we have to have very diverse skill sets. And so I, I, I can't afford to have, for instance, a dedicated um, patent attorney because I don't know whether that should be in, in industry, in technology or in life sciences because I get so many different invention discussions from all the different academic disciplines we have. Uh, and so so there are business developers, I, we ask them to do scouting, we ask them to do uh, uh, some initial market research. We ask them to do business development, negotiation, licensing, legal work. So they're really uh, they have to do all the different trades within technology transfer. It's that what we're then asking them to do is not to have it to spread it out too widely across different uh, industries. And so that means that they actually are very well integrated into the industry they're working in. They know the people on the other side of the table. They know the venture people to talk to. And I think that is a benefit to our researchers because they can then help with networks beyond just uh, inventions and licensing activity, but also in terms of self-funding and industry collaboration. Now, you mentioned, Thomas, that your numbers are looking a little down this year, but they were pretty good last year. Could you share with us how many invention disclosures, patent filings, revenue generating agreements, royalty income you had in the last year? Sure. So we do about um, 35 to 40 invention disclosures per year. We have been doing that for about um, six years now, rolling on seven years. And out of that, we will file about 12 to 15 priority applications and we'll do around uh, six to eight, maybe 10 deals in a good year. Uh, but a half of those are spin-outs. So we're very spin-out heavy in terms of when you look at the percentage uh, of, of activity. Uh, and I also have a um, triage that means that we're quite aggressive from going from invention disclosure to started cases, which we only claim about 50 to 60% of our active cases. And that's because I believe that we have to work, work um very hard at the cases that we do have in our portfolio. We don't get any kind of breaks. We have to work with our researchers to actively build the validation and the data points. Uh, and so so I want to make sure that the business developers have enough time to help the researchers kind of 360 on all their uh, activities around the inventions. And for that reason, I don't want to have a very large uh, portfolio because I can't afford, I don't have a patent budget that, that means I can afford to have a case uh, sit on the back burner for two years and wait for, for someone to get to it. Um, we do uh, we do okay in terms of, of revenue generating income. We cover our we pretty much cover our half of our patent costs, and we want to get to a point where we also cover our proof of concept uh, fund. Um, what is uh, a, a great feature about our our office is we have a dedicated holding company where we actually have um, a, a full time administrator and a full time CEO that can help us build companies and start companies. So we can, we are very fortunate that we can actually 
build spin-outs that can start just without an external funding. We can start companies ourselves and build them. And for certain types of technology, especially in, in the software space and in the uh, engineering field, we might not need a venture partner from day one. We can build companies and show uh, a beta te test or show a, pro a, a proof of principle a prototype that we can then uh, sell to someone and start generating income from day one, build the company value a little bit, and then take on uh, corporate partners or venture capital with a higher valuation. So I think that's a, a very valuable asset that we have in our operations. Well, given that you're so spin-out heavy and you also have this dedicated holding company, do you have an incubator or accelerator or something locally that these spin-outs go to? Uh, we have a, a dedicated uh, incubator for robotics companies and drone companies. Um, for anything in life sciences, uh, we try to latch on to the programs in Copenhagen because they're uh, much better equipped and, and there's a much better ecosystem uh, in Copenhagen for life science companies. Um, and then uh, we don't have anything to kind of catch anything that comes in between. So, so that's some of the things that we have to start looking at as we develop spin-outs in the energy field, for instance. So, Thomas, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you what you think is most important in managing innovations to give them the greatest opportunity for success. I, th I think the most important thing is that you have to have a strategy and you have to let that strategy work. I think if you're jumping from one hilltop to the other, you're asking for trouble uh, because one a set of decisions can be right on one project and wrong on the next project. And what you're really telling both inventors and business partners is, you know, we don't, you can get different decisions if you come in on a Monday or on a Wednesday, and that's really bad for your long-term relationships. So having a strategy, sticking to it, and then also having enough of the patience to see that kind of uh, mature and implement before you make addition uh, adjustments. You have to make adjustments, obviously, to a strategy if you're looking at a five or 10 year uh, time period. But, but, but being true to your strategy in terms of what you're trying to achieve, I think that is the, the most important thing. And then that you have to then make that funnel down into your portfolio management, into your hiring practices, into your um, development of your team and your your promotion of your team. Uh, and maybe also saying when it's when it's time for someone to to find a job opportunity elsewhere because they're no longer we can no longer have fit their ambitions within the team, within the strategy that you have. So so I think that that is kind of the, it's, it all starts from from a strategy and, and being honest in terms of, of working for uh, within the, the framework of that strategy. Now, Thomas, you mentioned a little bit about corporate partners before, and I wanted to turn back to that and ask you um, specifically about the role of philanthropic organizations at SDU. Do you have any partnerships with philanthropic organizations? Yes, we do. And and in Denmark, it's very much the Norman Oisk Foundation in the life sciences space. The Norman Oisk Foundation actually just recently surpassed Bill Gates Foundation in terms of being the largest philanthropic organization, uh, um, fund in, in the world. And and obviously, being having the historical ties to, to Denmark means that the foundation is very interested in promoting uh, innovation and, and making sure that the uh, excellent research they're funding is also being translated into excellent innovations and new products. And so the Nordos, for instance, innovation, uh, the Nordos Foundation, for instance, has set up the uh, Bioinnovation Institute, which we are working closely together with. And they've funded a number of programs uh, at different universities and university hospitals that we're all actively taking part in making sure our researchers are aware of the opportunities they have for 
for their education, for testing, for prototype testing, uh, for uh, seed funding, for for uh, for testing out uh, innovations in life science space. Uh, and then I think it's very interesting to see the foundation in in terms of how it looks at at what areas they're working within, and we we have ongoing dialogue with them in terms of, for instance, uh, uh, green biotech, so production for uh, uh, for the agriculture. Are they moving into the agricultural space? Are they how active they have a a, a subsidiary called Novozymes that works with industrial uh, proteins and processes, and so in. So white biotech is also something that's just interesting to see what what they're doing in that space. Um, it's it's obviously it's it's uh, it's wonderful to have uh, friends with with money within short driving distance, but it also means that they. Uh, their footprint is very large and it's becoming larger in terms of, of uh, how they influence the Danish research ecosystem. And so that's something that's going to be interesting to follow on the sidelines. Now, Thomas, you mentioned about some of your successful spinouts being acquired by Teradyne. Um, did you want to share some of your other success stories in terms of successful technologies, startups, things like that? Yeah. Um, so I think, one of the things that's so wonderful about working with at, at STU is is that that we're really diverse in our technology portfolio, and that means that uh, going again going back to having a team that works in, in a lot of different industries, but it also means that our success stories come in in various shapes and sizes and in in, in different industries. And so, obviously, robotics with these uh, with these two um, wonderful success stories is something that's that's. We're always looking at to see kind of see what's the next one coming through and then who's going to be the next company that's really taking off. We have a couple of, of robotics companies in our portfolio now that are that are um, are are uh, really scaling up at the moment internationally. Uh, but we also uh, been very fortunate to have a couple of of lifetime spinouts um, and uh, especially fond of, of a company called Calden Therapeutics because it's a collaboration with the University of Glasgow and um, with the investment there, the company is actually placed in Scotland, but it's something that's coming out of of, of labs. And it's a very, obviously people uh, who work within tech transfer will realize like a, a, a 50-50 relationship on the IP owner side is something that when when you have a very large A round is something that's um, all of a sudden you have to be very sure that you have a partner that you can trust and, and work together with there. And we're very fortunate that we have a good relationship with University of Glasgow. And so we were able to build uh, Calvin Therapeutics a couple of years ago, which is still active in pursuing uh, two uh, drug programs within uh, diabetes. So Thomas, along with great success comes challenges. What would you say two of your office's biggest challenges are? I think um, we're always looking at how can we build our pipeline. And so we're talking obviously about um, invention disclosures, getting invention disclosures, but we don't want to have, you know, we don't want to have invention disclosures just to get a piece of paper so we can boost numbers. So what is the, the what is what are the things that the researchers should be thinking about and looking for? And so really it's a matter of education and awareness more than it is um, pumping up numbers in terms of getting more research disclosures. But obviously, I think I have a, a great team and a, and a well-operating uh, uh, operation. So I, I'd love to, to, you know, to, to put some more things into that machine, so to speak. Uh, 
Um, so that's a challenge for us is to make being make, making sure that we're top of mind with with the academics when they when they do come up with exciting new research results. Um, and then I think it's also um, we have uh, government funds in Denmark, we have uh, private funds in Denmark, and um, a lot of opinions about how to do technology transfer, how to do innovation boosting. Um, but it, it's really difficult to get from the operational level and engage with our stakeholders. And there's a number of hoops you have, almost have to run through. And I think when we do uh, manage to get those conversations, I always find it very beneficial and we can help educate each other. Uh, but it's, it's sometimes it takes a lot of effort to get to talk to the right people. And sometimes I think that we almost, almost have to kind of go all the way up through the food chain and go all the way down through the food chain again to get to, to some some uh, conversations that have add value. Uh, and so that's something that I hope as we develop our ecosystem in the in the in the framework of Spinoz Denmark that we can get more peer-to-peer dialogue with the other partners in the ecosystem. Well, Thomas, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because this is an important topic that's being discussed in tech transfer offices all around the globe right now. So I wanted to ask, does SDU have any programs to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs? And if so, if you could talk about them in a little bit of detail. Sure. So uh, the university as a whole uh, overall has a a gender equality uh, program, Um, but it's very much looking more at career paths than it is looking at specifically at knowledge exchange or knowledge exchange activities. Uh, and so this is a this is an issue. Obviously, when you're looking at metrics, and you, if you know how to look at metrics, you all you also spot kind of the um, the bias in terms of of gender, which is specifically in Denmark is something that that I think is the is the most prevalent uh, equality issue is gender and and representation there. Uh, I think oh, when I look at the number of of, uh, of female researchers employed by SDU and the number of female inventors in our portfolio, we're not that far off. Um, so percentage-wise, it's not a huge red flag. But in terms of making sure that we are getting all the talent and all the great innovations out there, there shouldn't be any kind of, of issues in terms of gender that's an additional uh, roadblock. I think there are enough roadblocks already, and uh, and it definitely comes comes back to also uh, career paths. Um, uh, tenure isn't really uh, uh, doesn't work the same way in Denmark as it does in the U.S. But 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 a lot of junior researchers are on short term uh, contracts, uh, and it's also it's also coming back to um, just gender issues in our in our society in general. Uh, um, I've I've already told the story about how I talked to our communications team over the summer last this past summer, and said um, we were kind of planning for our LinkedIn profile. What do we want to uh, short stories do we want to show over the last next couple of, of of weeks when when the office is more more or less on summer break, and and one of the things that that I said was Let, let's take these five stories that we've already written, so it's easy for us to do them, and I just this. I purposely decided five stories about female inventors and our communications department, our communications team uh, kind of said, you know, well, uh, yeah, 
five female why don't we do you know two or three or change it a little bit and 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 this was coming off maybe having done 10 male inventors and 20 male inventors i don't know uh but but it's something where i think that's just a a and and there's some kind of of inbuilt bias towards wanting everything to be 50 50 that we're almost forgetting that we're doing so much uh that's that's male dominated already that are that are why not do five uh, female inventors? I didn't want to highlight that these were five female inventors. I just let's do five inventors that happen to be female, just to to change it up a bit. So we we see that bias in our day to day work, and it's something that you have to be, I think, as a head of a tech transfer, whatever your position is, if you are in a management position, it's something you have to be aware about and think about and and try to to push as much as you can and and every every aspect of your work life. So switching gears again, Thomas, I wanted to ask what organizations you and your team are involved in, things like Autumn, LES, other organizations, and what value you think they add. So as a, um, um, as a European tech transfer office, we're primarily engaged with ASTP, uh, and we attend the annual meetings, and we use um, much of their training programs. And I, I especially use it when we onboard new staff. We, we lay out a plan on which which uh, courses are relevant. Uh, we're starting to use Praxis in the UK more and more. And I think post-COVID, the fact that we don't have to travel for some of the uh, activities is great. Um, I haven't really I haven't really seen anything from Autumn in terms of online courses that I thought this was spot on. There's a time difference there as well, as well that does make a little bit of a difference. Um, I've always loved going to the Autumn annual meetings, but it's... Um, Travel-wise, it's it's always um, it's difficult to find the time to go for two or three days um, when you have to add two or three days of travel to it, um, and so 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 ASTP is our primary um, technology transfer professional organization that that we uh, we kind of we kind of look towards. So Thomas, I wanted to ask your view on credentialing things like registered technology transfer professional. Certified licensing professional. Um, what's your view on it, and do you think it makes a difference? I absolutely think it makes a difference. I think if 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 um, I'm a certified research uh, technology transfer professional myself, and I have been for a long time, I'm I'm heavily active and engaged with with ATTP as a volunteer, and I've I've previously volunteered for ATTP and, and Autumn over a number of years, and I've pretty much put all my time and effort into ATTP. And the reason for that is I think that it's, it's so vital if we want to think about ourselves as a global profession that we also have certification to, to back that up. Um, and, and the certification, it will probably never be ideal and it probably never be what everyone wants in, the, in their perfect uh, version of a certification, but it is something where all the major organizations have come together and said, this is the criteria. This is what we think uh, constitutes a uh, professional in the technology transfer or knowledge exchange uh, profession. And and I think, um, I think especially when you're thinking about um, people in a position to influence others in technology transfer, whether that is senior uh, positions or whether it's something that someone that's just been in the business for a long time, don't get certified because you want another plaque on the wall, but get certified because you want some young people to think this is cool and interesting and this is somewhere I want to be. This is, I think we have to be role models. And I think getting RTTP, getting certified, I think that's an absolute key part of that. And, and board members, senior volunteers in, in our organizations should look towards this and, 
And, you know, I, I see so many people come into the business and after one or two years, they leave again. And I think one of the things that they leave about is that they can't really see what is the difference between this business and any other business. And so the more we make sure that we can highlight this as being a profession, the better. Thomas, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests, if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office, what would that be? Uh, so, so this is, uh, uh, this is, I don't even know where to start with three wishes all at once. Uh, I, I will say, um, this is speaking purely in a, in a, in a Danish context, um, because I, I, I know that, um, uh, that these things evolve over time, but I don't think we have to make the same mistakes as everyone else has made. And I think one of the things we have to look at in Denmark is our senior researchers are getting so very much pushed for external funding these days. And, and they really should be looking towards knowledge exchange activities, not just IP and licensing, but knowledge exchange in general as a way to subsidize their research activities and making getting that extra stream of income instead of fighting for the same grants with the same people in the same academic disciplines as they always do from the national bodies. Look at knowledge exchange as a way to get uh, funding for their programs and look at it as a way, as a career path for the junior researchers. You know, you, you have... You have a pyramid in, in, in academia and not everyone is meant to be a, 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 a tenured professor. So, so this is also somewhere to get an, a, a, an alternative career path for junior research. I think that's my, I don't know if that's one or three wishes, but that's at least that's, that's really what I, what I would like for, to see happen in Denmark over the next couple of years. Well, Thomas, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? The easiest thing is just to send me an email at thos at sdu.dk. Uh, and you can also uh, find me on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm happy to connect there as well. Well, thanks so much again, Thomas. This has been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.